Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast, where we talk about how to win at life by building a stronger spirit, soul, and body. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and I am so excited to have our guest for today's show, Cynthia Klein. She is an author of the blog, A Faithful Step, and she's a seven-year Air Force veteran and fellow military spouse and a mama of two. So she's got a lot going on. Thank you for coming to chat with us today, Cynthia. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Yes, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Like you said, I'm a recent veteran from the Air Force, served seven years doing a multitude of things as a personnelist, so HR for military. And honestly, separating was a step of faith for me. And so as you can see, there's probably a play in the step of faith for a faithful step in my blog and just the life season that I'm in. Um, my husband is a fighter pilot and so being dual military was very difficult and so I recently became a stay-at-home mom slash writer and I kind of joke when you leave the military you go through this transition program and they ask you to fill out this resume and your goals and for the entire time I told them I was like I want to be a trophy wife that is my goal and so um (laughs) And I was joking about that, but in all ways I was serious because it comes back to my priorities and and my priorities in life is God, family, and everything else. And so uh, family comes before everything. And so that meant leaving the military to serve my family best, especially with my husband's job. Um, And in that though, writing has played a huge factor. And so that's a little bit about me. I've definitely, I will say my life, I felt has been very standard, but I think everyone says that everyone thinks that their life isn't very unique. And it wasn't until writing that I started to discover my voice and my story and how that has really impacted me and who I've become. And so I started sharing it to encourage others and to let them know that they are not alone in this life that we live. So yeah, that's yeah, me. That's great. I know exactly, uh, well, not exactly how you feel, but <laughs> I, I have a lot of similar things to, of, you know, separating from the Air Force to become a mom. And that was a big step and a real change in identity. And then mm-hmm. also just writing, started writing for myself, really, but then realizing, realizing that other people could benefit from that too. And uh, that's kind of a, a core belief I have is that everybody's got a story to share that could help others. And so that's kind of what this whole podcast is about. Tell us um, a story or two of your life from a resilience standpoint. You know, where have you seen resilience be a factor in your life and your career and motherhood and combining the two? Yeah. It wasn't until I really started. So actually, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. I started going to counseling, not because my life is like absolutely horrible and I'm depressed, but more so I'm a huge advocate for counseling. And so I was like, let me go and talk to someone because my husband is not a talker. And so I'm like, I need to talk to someone who can just help me process things. And so I went and as I told her my story, she was like, you know what I see? And I was like, what? She's like, I see resilience. I'm like, resilience? What? And it really showed me, okay, I guess I am strong and there is resilience all throughout my life and taking it back to when I joined ROTC at Ohio State. And so 
I joined the Air Force because my father was in the Air Force before I was even born. And my father for my entire life was my hero. And so I wanted to know more about him. And so I signed up for this class called Intro to Air Science, thinking it was an intro to air science in the Air Force, not realizing it was Air Force ROTC. And so I showed up the first day and people were yelling and we were trying on uniforms and they were talking about PT at five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And I was just like, what did I sign myself into? So I remember showing up to PT that first day and we had a track that was, um, it took 12 laps to do a mile and a half. So it wasn't very big and I couldn't run one lap. I wasn't really in sports in high school. I went to a three-year high school was where there was no extracurriculars. It was pretty much just academics from seven o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the evening just to um, go through school a lot quicker. And so I remember running through that track and I felt so defeated. I was like, I can't even do a lap. I was the last person. I am pretty sure I vomited after one lap. That's how out of shape I was. And I saw all of these people who are much thinner than me running, doing push-ups and sit-ups. And so I left that day feeling so defeated, feeling unworthy, unqualified, and so confused as to why I didn't sign up. And that pretty much was that first year in college. Every day after PT, so PT was Tuesdays and Thursdays at five or six o'clock in the morning. And I would show up and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I didn't quit because I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make it one quarter. If I make it one quarter, then I can quit the next quarter. I don't like quitting in between things. I needed to finish this class. And one quarter turned into two, turned into three. And I was also out of regs because I was overweight. And so I wasn't allowed to wear the uniform. So imagine marching through Ohio State campus, a massive campus, and being the only cadet not in uniform. You know, it's like, where's Waldo? Except it's very easy to pick me out amongst all of the camouflage. And there was a lot of shame attached to that. You know, I basically paraded myself in all the ways I wasn't equipped to be in the military. And so it was a very hard season for me. I don't know why I stayed through there because at this time I hadn't really found my faith. Growing up, I say I was a cafeteria Catholic or a cultural Catholic where we believed in God and we would go to church on occasion, but it was, you know, I believe in God, I'm a good person. And so that's enough, you know, I'll get to heaven because I'm a good person. And so that was kind of what the faith that carried me through that first year. I had this desire to get to know God, but I was terrified to go to church. I was terrified. I'm like, I'm not walking in this strange building and I don't know anyone. Like people are going to know who I am. And so I navigated that first year. Every Friday I was getting weighed in and being told like, nope, you still haven't lost enough weight. And so I struggled with my self-esteem and it wasn't until my sophomore year that I finally lost the weight. And I remember someone, one of the older cadets came and congratulated me. He was like, you know, I really thought you were going to quit after that first year. Like I wasn't expecting you to be here. I wasn't expecting you to lose the weight. And he was like, I'm really proud of you. And that really meant a lot to me in a way, because I had put myself through a lot of embarrassment and shame and struggle to like, you know, when you get weighed in, you don't get weighed in in private, right? Like there's a hundred or so cadets that are all getting weighed at the same time, all getting measured at the same time. And so I started practicing unsafe behaviors, like starving myself for a week, just so I could make Mm weigh-ins, sitting in the sauna for hours at a time, fully dressed, just so I can make weigh-ins. And again, my faith wasn't necessarily as strong as it needed to be, but 
I kept bouncing back and I kept showing up, even though I left in tears and even thinking about it, like I'm fighting back the tears right now, because I think that played a huge factor in my confidence in motherhood and as a wife, right? Mm -hmm. Like women struggle with self-esteem. And so to feel like you are not worthy or you are not enough, right? Like I felt like I wasn't enough for the Air Force. At the time, I wasn't really dating anyone because most guys don't want to date some a woman in the military because they're like, you know, I had a guy tell me once, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow you. Like I need my own career and I'm not going to follow you in the military. And I was like, cool, bro. Like, that's well, I'm glad I know this now and not a year into an invested relationship. And so ROTC broke me in many ways, but I'm thankful I went through it. My senior year is when I started getting close to my now husband, David, and we became really good friends. And it wasn't until I graduated that we started dating. And then we had the conversation, like, if we're going to date, our purpose is marriage, because we were going to go long distance, I was going to go to Illinois, he was going to go to Florida. And so we knew that uh, life was going to be challenging. So our goal was marriage, it wasn't to say that I was engaged, yet, but it was to say, this is our purpose, we are dating to see if we are compatible, and we can make a marriage work. And three months in, he actually broke up with me because I was Catholic, and he was Baptist. And so you know, those two don't necessarily mix well. <laughs> and in many ways, again, that broke me. I was like, what do you mean you're breaking up with me because I'm Catholic? I was confused. It came completely out of left field. And for him, um, he basically was like, I'm, I'm never converting to Catholicism. So I can't be with you. And I'm not going to ask you to convert. So we had a conversation and I told him, I was like, well, I never asked you to convert to Catholicism. That moment was a pivotal moment in my faith because I realized that I needed to discover what I believed. I needed to discover if my faith or my religion and being a Catholic was worth not being with someone that I loved. I remember laying in my daybed at my parents' home. And so I had a year off between when I graduated college and when I entered the Air Force because the Air Force has a year to get someone into active duty after commissioning just because of how many positions Congress allots. And so because I graduated in June, I was one of the last ones and I didn't enter act, uh, active duty for a year after I graduated. And so I remember sitting in my parents' home, I was working a big girl job, just kind of waiting for the Air Force to call me in. And when he broke up with me, I, uh, I just couldn't breathe. I was like, dry heaving and for the first time, I really prayed out to God. I was like, God, I just need you to, I just need you to let me know it's okay. I didn't ask him to fix my relationship. I didn't ask him to bring David back with me for whatever reason. I was like, I just need you to help me know that I'm okay. And a peace washed over me. And I suddenly like my crying stopped and I could breathe again. And I had this sense of peace, like, okay, I'll be fine. I had no idea if David and I were going to be back together, but I knew life would be okay, which saying this is surprising because again, I didn't really have a relationship with God. I didn't pray. I didn't, oh, I mean, I kind of prayed, but really I, I didn't read the Bible. And so it wasn't for a few months after that moment when Dave and I pursued our relationship again, and we started dating again. And there was a lot of baggage there, you know, he broke up with me. And so as any woman who's ever gone through a breakup and then uh, forgave their significant other, mm -hmm. there's baggage there. You have these questions like, okay, is he going to do this to me again? Right. Okay. And so I had those questions and then struggling with my self-esteem, 
from the Air Force and ROTC, I also had these questions of like, well, am I going to be enough for him? I wasn't enough for the Air Force. And so am I going to be enough for David? And so um, I battled a lot with that. And so we went off to our first assignment. I'm in Illinois and I had started looking at churches. I was like, okay, well, I, at this time I had realized that I believe in God, but I don't necessarily believe in religion and I don't necessarily believe in the Catholic faith. Um, I had my own personal problems with it. And so I started pursuing non-denominational churches and um, I had Googled some churches in Illinois. And one Sunday, I remember leaving, right? I remember leaving the house, pulling up into a church parking lot and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't walk into the building. I was terrified. I was like, what if this is an all white church and people are gonna look at this Hispanic? Like, what is she doing here? Or, you know, what if I sit in someone's seat? These are the questions that were processing through my head. And I was like, I can't do it. And so I left. And so April of 2014, a friend that I worked with invited me to church. She was like, hey, our church is having this Easter service. I would love for you to come and then you can have lunch with us. I was like, that would be great. And what the way she did it was huge because it wasn't just, hey, show up. It was come to my house, we'll drive together and then you can have lunch at our house afterwards. And so I didn't have to walk into this large foreign building by myself. And I entered that building and that was actually Faith Family Church where I met you and my life was transformed. And I will say that at that point, I gave my life over to Christ fully. And I finally started to understand there's a difference between believing in God and following Christ. And so from that moment, I, I remember just crying during the worship because I felt seen and I felt heard. And I felt like, even though I wasn't enough, um, he was enough for me. And so I really dove into the church and I started to attend. I went from doing nothing, right? Like not really reading my Bible, not going to uh, church or anything to going to church every Sunday. I started going to youth group every Thursdays. I became a member of that church. I joined the call to serve uh, women's Bible study. My husband says, you turned into a Bible thumper like super quick. <laughs> and I, you know, and so that also caused problems, you know, like, and so I told him, I was like, well, one minute I'm you know, Catholic and not enough. And now the next minute I'm too Christian. Like, what is this? So we had to work through that. What I see now on the other side of that assignment was that God was preparing me for a very, very difficult assignment. And I see, as I look back and as I reflect through my writing, um, I was able to see that God was pursuing me in all of those moments. You know, when David broke up with me, he was pursuing me. He was calling me like, you need to figure out who, you know, whose you are, who you believe and who you love more than anything. Each of those like heartbroken moments and moments of shame and defeat, like he was there. I just, I wasn't willing to see it. Mm -hmm. When I got to Scott, my first assignment, I got transferred halfway through. I got transferred into what I classify as the most difficult assignment of my career. I became the readiness officer. And so this was in charge of the honor guard and in charge of mortuary affairs and in charge of readiness, so like deployment stuff. And um, in Illinois, the honor guard is like the second or third largest honor guard in the Air Force. They cover a huge area of responsibility up to Chicago, where they're the only honor guard in the Air Force that has a forward operating base. Basically, they run a hotel in Chicago just for all the funerals that happen in that area. So we send airmen TDY there for a week to do all of these funerals. And so 
basically we got married on September 5th and that Monday afterwards I started this new job mm. and literally within a few weeks we had our first mortuary case and in a span of six weeks we had nine active duty mortuary cases some of them were only honor guard most of them we actually had mortuary officers who were working in so to explain that experience I had technicians going and inspecting bodies, right? Like they're inspecting the bodies to make sure that it's good to go for the dignified transfer. I sat in the living room of a mom with her 13 year old boy to plan the funeral for her 21 year old son that died in a car accident or in a motorcycle accident. But I got to see this entire other side of the Air Force and that gave me so much value. I was like, wow, this position matters. And it was my third assignment that I got a call. It was on the weekend. I was sitting in my room and I got this call from one of our mortuary techs that said, hey, we have another active duty case. And I was like, well, who is it? And she told me it was Master Sergeant Gregory Coos. And my heart dropped because I knew him. I had worked with him in previous squadron. He would make fun of me because I was an Ohio State fan and he was a Michigan fan. He was married to a Mexican woman and I was Puerto Rican. And so he knew how to push my buttons and he would purposely bring out the ethnic side of me to teach me like, hey, you need to control your emotions, stop wearing them on your sleeve. And so he would tell me like, hey, LT, put her away. And he would talk about that other side, the, you know, unprofessional Cleveland, Puerto Rican side, hey, put her away. And he died in a helicopter accident in Afghanistan in October. And that completely wrecked me. I was pulled from the case, but I just remember feeling like, wow, okay, like I'm a first lieutenant and this is my first experience with losing someone in the military. And my job and is leading these airmen who are gonna work that piece for it. Thankfully, they didn't have to do like inspecting the body or anything because since it was in Afghanistan, it went through Dover Air Force Base and they handled most of it. But I knew his wife. Um, I knew his kids. And so at this moment, my life began spiraling down where we were working nonstop because, you know, mortuary does not stop, right? So on a, all of this. And so we were working long days, long hours, working weekends, traveling really far, and we're navigating multiple cases at once. Shortly after that, we, you know, this was the third case. And I said, we had nine cases and we were in office of four people, three people. And we ended up losing an instructor in my squadron. I did not know him, but I became the summary courts officer, basically inventorying all of his effects in his office. And so going through the pictures he had and his clothing items, and he had over a thousand items in his office. And being so closely tied to that, I felt very, I felt inexperienced again, unqualified to lead these airmen I had an airman who, when she had to inspect the body of the instructor, that was her friend. She knew him and she had to go and do her job. And the funeral like, was at the funeral home where she had lost her mother recently. I think it was a year or so prior. And so she started going through a lot of flashbacks and was struggling through that. And she came to my office one day and started bawling because she felt overwhelmed. She's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know, you know, I can't do this anymore. And that was the first time I had to ask her like, Hey, do you think, you know, are you harm to yourself? Have you thought about this? 
it was horrible coming out of my mouth to ask like, hey, are you thinking about committing suicide? And thankfully she said no, but she wanted to seek help. And so I just cried with her in the office because I had nothing else to say. And for the Mm -hmm. first time I understood, like sometimes all you need to do is just be present and cry with them. And so as the officer in charge who has been told to watch my emotions, I literally sat there and I cried with her. I was like, I don't know what to do or what to say. We called mental health and she started seeking help. And then shortly after that, I had a master sergeant come in and I had to ask him the same question because he was also struggling through everything that we had gone through. And I had to ask him, and as a first lieutenant, you should have officers and people above you that you can lean on, that you can trust, that can carry you and help you. At this time, my commander was an atheist. He was very anti-religion. Don't even say, thank God, because you might offend someone. And he yelled at people for doing that. He did not care about people. One of my mortuary technicians, she was a single mom of two girls. She had just returned home from deployment and was on R&R, so rest and recuperation. And he made me call her in on those two weeks to start working mortuary cases, even though we had someone who could do it. But because he wanted her, because she was the most experienced. She never got that time back. You were gone for six months. You have two little girls and you're called into work within those two weeks because you need to work this case because a specific boss wants you there. There were instances where I had informed him of information and he lied about that and basically threw me under the bus to save his own career. Not once did he ever come into the office and ask us how we were doing, if we were okay. I went to trusted people and I let them know like I'm struggling. My people feel like they don't care, like no one cares about them and no one helped. And so I remember thinking like, I hate this Air Force and I just, I wanna leave, I can't do this again. Ooh. And I, that left a really sour taste in my mouth. We finally made it through all of these cases. I got an assignment where I get to be joined with my husband And I'm heartbroken because I have to leave these people who are hurting. And I remember like we had this going away for me and my commander never even showed up. You know, he didn't farewell me. And I felt like I had failed. I was like, I'm here supposed to lead people and do things. And I was like, what did I do? Um, All of my people are checking into mental health. You know, I was like, wow, I must suck as a leader. And the airman that I told you that had come to me and like we cried together, she had her husband make this box for me. And it said, whenever you're frustrated or upset, open this box and remember why you serve. And inside were notes from people in the squadron, like personal anecdotes and like thank yous in scripture. And I was just in awe and I started crying at this um, meeting. I had an old commander that actually came and supported me. And I had quite a few people show up. In that moment, I knew that my purpose was not my commander. My purpose was not to have this stellar career, but my purpose was the people and taking care of the people. And I realized that assignment, I hadn't failed that assignment. I hadn't like let people down. Instead, I had been so plugged into the church that light was overflowing. People who aren't even believers were like, I love how passionate you are about Jesus. I'm like, really? I was like, I didn't even know I was talking about that. Like I was just living my life and um, looking back and I see how low I was. It was only by the grace of God that I got through that season, making it to England. We had different trials. I went through a miscarriage. Um, I went through my first deployment. We're leaving. I left my daughter behind. 
but it was my faith that carried me through. And looking back, I see that now. I see how God pursued me for that tough season I was getting ready to enter. But I feel like there's a lot of resilience there. There is. Yeah, I agree with your counselor. You have a lot of resilience going on. And it's, it's always fascinating to me. You know, we have very different stories, you and I, but I relate to so many things that you said, being in the military too, and feeling that inadequacy, feeling the, the judgment, particularly as a woman. And I wasn't like a great runner. So my, I always fell out of every run in basic training. <laughs> I, I heard the military is supposed to break you down in basic training, and then they build you back up into this new, and I felt like my training really did a great job of breaking me down, but I'm still, you know, 30 plus years later, trying to rebuild things that were broken down. So I don't know that plan didn't really totally work with me, but I love two things. You pointed out that God has a purpose in things that he allows us to walk through and how that's preparing us for the next thing. And I can see how all these things that you related to us are preparing you for the ministry that you're doing now in writing and sharing with others. You have a great story. And then being able to look back and see his faithfulness, like we can't, always see it in the middle of it. I know I miss it a lot. I feel alone. Mm -hmm. I feel abandoned. I feel unsure. But when we look back, then you can go, oh, I see, you know, how God was. And some things we don't ever see. I love the story about your farewell thing, because there's so many times where we're like, I'm failing. I'm not making a difference. I'm not. But, you know, we won't know the full extent of the impact that we have on people until we get to heaven, you know, and that's just that's really incredible. So thank you for sharing that story with us. What kind of takeaways or kind of general themes did you learn, you know, that you feel you could share with other people that might help them when they're going through a tough situation? Um, I will say hindsight, right? Like we look back at a situation and we can finally see the truth, but sometimes we wish we could see it in the moment. And so as I was going through those hard seasons, the only thing thing I could do was one, rely on, uh, rely on people to pray for me mm-hmm. and to pursue my faith. Um, and so in that season of darkness, I felt like I was failing. I felt like I was alone and I struggled, but it was only through reflection that I was able to see that I wasn't alone. And so even in the darkest moments, realize that continue to show up continue to rely on God and you may feel like you're not making it through. You may feel like you are drowning. Um, but each day that you wake up each day that you are given another breath and another opportunity, God is using it. And so, um, really it's not within our own strength. If we try to make it through, if we try to do all the things, we're not going to do it. Right. Like, um, if I tried to fix my airman's problems, I would have failed miserably. And instead I broke down and I allowed, I allowed myself to be vulnerable with her. Mm-hmm. I allowed myself to admit I am not enough. I allowed myself to admit that I don't know, but I know that my heart is hurting for you. And so it's that empathy. It's that just getting through using your emotions that was a huge difference for me. I allowed myself to grieve. I allowed myself to hurt. I allowed myself to kind of wallow in self-pity for a little bit. Um, and I allowed my community to pick me up and hold me when I couldn't hold myself. And mm-hmm. that call to serve group, um, they prayed for me so much in that season. And I, I truly believe it was their prayers that uplifted me. And so mm-hmm. we can't do this life alone. And so I think rely, plugging into a community, being vulnerable enough to allow them to see your hurt and to lift you up. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not see it in the moment, but you'll see it looking back. So yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting connection of you talked about your friend that's like, hey, you know, keep your emotions hidden. But yet that's it's through that very vehicle that you were able to minister to people. And I I'm not really great about I'm the opposite. I I don't show my emotions a lot. And I, you know, as I've kind of analyzed that, there's a couple of things. One, I grew up as a dancer, so it's always, you know, on stage, you smile no matter what, show must go on mm -hmm. kind of attitude. And then secondly, military, you know, it's all about military bearing and no matter yeah. what happens, you're not allowed to laugh or cry or smile or move or, you know, definitely no cry at attention. No. Mm -hmm. So I've just kind of, and I'm natural. I mean, part of it's just natural personality too. I'm just that way. So it's actually difficult for me to be authentic in the moment because I just have all these things where I just naturally smile and fake it. <laughs> and, but that was really detrimental to me when I was going through depression after losing my son, cause I, I faked it for years trying to say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I was not okay. And I didn't want to admit it because of, you know, pride and feeling like, oh, I'm a failed Christian. If I'm depressed and anxious, I'm supposed to be yeah. joyful and peaceful. What's wrong with me? Um, but yeah, I like how you, you bring that out that being real with our emotions is the path, not only to healing for ourselves, but to help those around us. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So how has the, the transition been for you from, from being military and mom to being able to be with your kids full time. And how has that been yeah. for you? Big adjustment. It. It is, it, it's been absolutely amazing. It's definitely been a big adjustment. And um, honestly, it, it's been seven years in the making. I had dreams of maybe making it a career, but God had called me to another avenue. It wasn't because, you know, he let me know that it wasn't because I wasn't qualified in the Air Force. It wasn't because I wasn't enough because mm -hmm. I had people affirm me and say, hey, you can make Colonel if you want. And so mm -hmm. I struggled with that. Well, if I can make Colonel, why am I leaving? Yeah. Um, but I knew that it was time. And so I have loved it. I joke with my husband. I was like, okay, I think instead of a trophy wife, I'm more like a participation trophy or a certificate of achievement at this point because I, I was like life is not easy but it's just it's just provided so much joy to be able to spend more time with my husband um and again I prayed for over a year about this transition because I knew how difficult it was and I prayed that my identity would not be attached to my rank or the uniform that I wear but it would be tied to my faith and my values and so um so far six months in like best decision ever no regrets um mind you i left at a very positive point in my air force career after that assignment i had a great a few assignments afterwards um i left great people i left a great job and so i'm so happy that i was able to get through that dark season in the air force mm -hmm. and not leave with bitter feelings because i feel like a lot of people do yeah. um but yeah no being a stay-at-home mom so far mm -hmm. and being able to pursue my writing being able to um, enjoy my evenings with my husband mm, has been glorious. And yeah. so I yeah. definitely love it. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I remember when I first separated and became the full time stay at home mom, and I was so excited. You know, I looked at moms walking their kids in the park while I was driving to work or whatever and thought, I want to do that someday. So I was like, here, I'd arrived. It was the dream. And on day one, my parents had helped me move into where it was actually here at Seymour for the B course. But uh, my parents had helped me move in and then they left and you know, my husband's at training. So first day of me alone with my son, full-time stay-at-home mom day. And I locked myself out of the house with him in the house on the loose. He was like 15 months. And uh, like the fire department, the base fire department had to come because they had the keys to base housing at that point. And they drove up like onto my front lawn with their sirens and lights. and. 
and everything. And I, I just felt like I have totally failed at being a mom, like day (laughs) one, like right out of the box, I do something Mm -hmm. horrible. I'm like, how did I go from being CGO of the quarter to worst mom of the year so fast? How did I fall so far so fast? Like, maybe I belong back in the military, (laughs) but I'm glad I didn't. And people, you know, when I tell that story, a lot of times people are like, well, I guess you figured it out because you've got eight. I'm like, yeah, well, you you learn and you just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I would love to spend more time with you, but we're kind of at the, the end of our, our time. But thank you so much for sharing your story. This has just been really incredible. And I love how just just getting to know people better, hearing their story and just everyday ordinary situations of things that go on of where God meets you where you're at and, and helps you through that, gives you that resilience. And then you have something now to turn around and offer to other people. And I just, I just love being able to see that at work. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank yeah. you for the opportunity. I've loved talking with you. Yeah, definitely. So if um, our listeners want to get in touch with you more, can you tell us more about your blog or where they can find you on social media? Yeah. So I, you can find me at Cynthia Klein on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, those are the two platforms I'm on, but really you can, the best place is probably my email list and on the website. And so I, I just can't stay on social media. And so I try to do it, but sometimes I just go MIA, yeah. um, but <laughs> me too. you can I have a love hate relationship me. with it. <laughs> yes, mostly, absolutely. Mostly hate. Yeah. Not like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, my website is www.afaithfulstep.com. And so I write uh, to encourage and equip women for a life well lived in motherhood and marriage and just in life in general. And so um, it's not a super theological Bible thumping website. It's more so how God has used my life and my story and grown my faith. And so that's where they can find me. And I would love to have your listeners. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want. Thank you.